Welcome to BIV Today, we're the daily business podcast from the newsroom of the Business in Vancouver operation here. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. It will seem a bit of a stretch today to talk about something that is a little bit more political than economic, but there is a connection into the dismissal of Don Cherry, the bombastic commentator on Hockey Night in Canada's Coach's Corner. Cherry has been a profit center, uh, first for CBC for nearly three decades, and most recently for Rogers Communications, as it bought the rights to NHL broadcasts and essentially rented the CBC to distribute it. But even profits have their limit when reputations are at stake, and Cherry's comments on Saturday about immigrants not buying poppies in support of veterans was the final straw. Our conversation today is about the issues that surround this matter, and frequently I call upon public opinion researcher Mario Canseco to shed light. He's the president of Research Co., and he writes twice weekly for our chain of publications at Glacier Media. Good to see you again. Great to be here. I wish there were another way for us to get together than to talk about this, <laughs> but you know, I, I thought it was important for us to, to look at some of the attitudes that are involved in this. And um, and I, I want to start with our attitudes about immigration and, and about veterans and the military. Um, let's, let's look first at this. Let, let's talk first of all about the tone of the country at the moment around immigration, because where you see in other countries that there is um, a, a real tension around uh, refugees, uh, around uh, their future with immigration, a lot of hostility, of course, in places right, right right from the administration in the United States. Canada has a probably a different tone, but I want to hear what, what you have to say about how this looks. Well, it's been consistent for the past couple of years. Whenever I've asked about immigration, the numbers are not as uh, terrible when it comes to the views of Canadians not wanting more people to come into the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw the effect that this had as a policy plank with the People's Party recently. Uh, they only got 2% of the vote. Not a lot of people were worried about these things. Uh, it makes for compelling television, of course, and I think that's one of the reasons for this. Uh, but I think there's a danger in looking into specific findings of a survey and then piggybacking and saying, well, this is exactly the way Canadians feel about something when the question isn't really well worth it. Uh, it's not something that is uh, really reflective of the way Canadians feel about this. And I think we see the same situation with multiculturalism. I mean, we yeah. consistently see uh, almost two-thirds of residents of Canada who say this has been good for the country. So it's definitely one of those things that is not seen uh, in a negative light uh, from a federal conservative standpoint. I think there was a moment in the 80s, early 90s maybe, uh, when conservative voters uh, were looking at this as something that was more of a liberal legacy. But now it's a Canadian thing. And I think a lot of people are growing older and getting used to it. Is, is there any possibility, Mario, that Canadians are fibbing to pollsters when they ask about things like multiculturalism and immigration? Or is this one of these topics where actually people do tell the truth? I think they do tell the truth. I think part of the problem is... Uh, giving them the opportunity to say how they feel about an issue, giving them an opportunity to be undecided. If I live in a place where I don't interact with a lot of people from other cultures, maybe I'm undecided on this. I shouldn't be forced to say yes or no. And I think that is one of the dangers of uh, questionnaires that are not properly worded. You know, you you have Maxime Bernier going out there and saying, well, I saw a survey that said 90% of people feel this way. Uh, Yes, when the wording is terrible, you're bound to have that type of situation and your findings are going to make it into a debate in so is, so is there a bit of a pro tip that you could give us here about what kind of question that you need 
to, uh, to, to phrase in order to get something that gives us a pretty accurate reflection about attitudes? Well, the way I would do it and the way I do it is essentially you cannot distill these issues into a yes or no question like it's an Instapol or the back pages of Cosmopolitan magazine. It's not the way in which you should be asking about this thing. So you, you have to ask, ask a batch of questions? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Get I, a framework I, from people? Exactly. Yeah. Look into specific things about your interactions, about the way you, you feel about a specific policy. Uh, when, when you try to look at it in a very different light, I mean, whenever you put numbers into this, uh, it can be quite confusing. You know, if you're saying to somebody, you know, we have this many refugees who came in through the border oh no now now we're in danger of course i want to you know do things differently you know it's not it's not something that you want to do and, and one of the most dangerous things in our in, in our industry is having numbers to go with things you know yeah. a million dollars might seem like a lot of money to somebody in other parts of the country but in this city it doesn't buy you a house so yeah in in other countries um, it, there is some indication that people don't get the economic connection that they see um, the arrival of immigration of, of immigrants as as a, a kind of a cost, as opposed to actually a pretty shrewd investment in your future, particularly if demography is not going to replenish your population base. Do Canadians make the connection uh, with any success here about the link between our immigrant history and our economic pr- prosperity? What is really striking is it's an urban and rural divide. It's not oh. a situation that changes dramatically from region to region or by ages or genders. It's it's more related to the urban-rural uh, situation. You know, you're more likely to come in touch with with recent immigrants, with Canadians who are second generation. If you live in an area that is highly populated than if you live in a place that is more of a rural nature. So I think that is one of the situations here. You know, when you hear Don Cherry talk about the silent majority or whatever he called it, uh, it doesn't mean uh, that it's a majority per se. It means that he's essentially talking to people who haven't really had an opportunity to deal with residents who come from other countries. Yeah. We live, of course, in the backyard of the most powerful military in the world. Um, and it's also an extremely, uh, an extremely patriotic country in a lot of respects. Um, Let's talk a bit about the attitudes in this country about our own military and the degree of pride that we have in it. Is it is it a really evident Canadian characteristic? It is. Whenever we ask about uh, specific professions, uh, you always see members of the military way up there uh, with firemen, with doctors, with nurses. Uh, highly respected, of course, but I think there's a little bit of a disconnect in the way in which we look at certain battles. And I think that's definitely problematic. We've seen a lot of cases of PTSD with people who are coming back from Afghanistan. Uh, We've seen higher suicide rates, and that seems to be forgotten during Remembrance Day. We seem to be concentrating on a couple of battles and a couple of wars, but we don't talk a lot about what is happening to our military right now. And where where would you assess blame or, or responsibility for that? As, as, as a country, have, have we failed to tell our history militarily uh, and, and look at the consequences of that the way that Americans have? Well, they've certainly done it in a very different fashion. You know, they have two different holidays that deal with this. Yeah. Uh, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, I think part of the situation has a lot to do with education. And, and you know, there's uh, residents of a certain age who don't really want to talk about other things that Canada was involved in. Uh, the peacekeeping operations, for instance, our role in Afghanistan after 9-11. Uh, it's not something that is being discussed as a, a prominently in, in this particular case. 
as, as it is in other situations, such as World War II, and it's completely understandable. Uh, but it's not something that is enabling a younger generation to look at things differently. Is it also a problem uh, when, say, a government appears to have a, a pacifying approach to things, a mediating approach, something that isn't as aggressive as, say, uh, you know, a, a, a heavily militaristic attitude and all of that? Does that work against um, trying to effect some sort of larger pride in the accomplishments of military when you have a maybe a government that is that appears to have a a softer inclination. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. But mm-hmm. it's also part of the Canadian psyche when you think about it. You know, it was, uh, it's hard to celebrate uh, when the team does well, for instance. You know, what we saw here during the Olympics back in 2010 uh, was remarkably un-Canadian. You know, people coming out in the streets and shouting and screaming and being happy for the team doing well. Uh, there were people who took it the wrong way. You know, we should just, you know, be thankful and, uh, you know, say we're sorry for winning the gold kind of thing. Uh, I, I think it has a lot to do with the attitude that we have. And it's one one of the thing that, things that sets us apart from the Americans, you know, going back to uh, one of the biggest sports wars that we had between Canada and the U.S., which was uh, Donovan Bailey <laughs> defeating Michael Johnson. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, people didn't react well when Donovan Bailey said, you know, this guy's a chicken, he didn't pull out, and I won, and I'm the best. And, you know, there, there were a lot of Canadians at the time who were saying, well, <laughs> don't do that. Just, you know, take your medal, do your thing, say what you have to say, but don't be... Feel a... sorry for the fact that Michael Johnson yeah, pulled up you know, limping uh, exactly. in the course of the 200 meters. Yeah, I remember that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, very well. Yeah, are, is there any decent polling on on um, on Don Cherry himself and on uh, Hockey Night in Canada? <laughs> is, do, what what do we know about um, about Canadians' uh, habits around this and and attitudes toward first of all the telecast? Well, I've asked about this before, uh, definitely way before this controversy happened. This right. was back at the time when Don Cherry was still at the CBC. And it was a bit of a mixed bag. I think what we see here is a situation where uh, there's a lot of Canadians who don't like hockey, and that has to be respected as well, and who like to see things from a very different fashion. I think part of the problem with Don Cherry, and this is something that the research showed at the time, was that they wanted him to stick to his lane. You know, don't come out here and talk about climate change. Don't come out there and talk about specific things that people should be doing. And I think there was also a little bit of a generational shift in the way Canadians felt about hockey. When Sidney Crosby was still playing in the minors and he was doing his thing and hot-dogging sometimes, Don Cherry said that he was going to get his arm broken if he played in the NHL. Well, guess what? This is the face of the NHL now. Somebody who is completely normal, not hitting people. Uh, We've seen fewer fights. You know, there's not the same situation that enabled Don Cherry to become immensely wealthy by selling videos of hockey players hitting each other in the head. Yeah. His his 1980s framework um, was was actually more of a an echo of a 1950s and 60s framework for hockey. And, of course, the game, I think a lot of people feel that the game has passed them by. That being said, um, I, I think there's still a bit of a phenomenon, there had been, where people were tuning in at about 10 to 5 o'clock on, on a Saturday in Vancouver time um, to watch Coach's Corner when they wouldn't actually be watching the game or where they would go from the French broadcast on the Réseau de Sport of the Montreal Canadiens, and go and catch the last minute or two of the Leafs game uh, in the first period in order to make sure that they were there at Coach's Corner. What what was what can you say about Canadian attitudes that still made this fellow um, 
an attraction. Well, he was very compelling for a lot of reasons. Uh, and you're right. I mean, I remember back in the 2006 election, uh, he actually had a little bit of a comment uh, on election night at the CBC. And that was the one moment when everybody at the pub was quiet. They weren't quiet when Peter Mansbridge was talking. They were yeah. quiet when Don Cherry was talking. Uh, and that tells you all about the aura of the man. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want to hear what he has to say. And he said his thing about, you know, the country and how important it is to vote. And, you know, he didn't endorse Stephen Harper or anything of the sort. Uh, but, you know, people were very quiet and listening very intently to what he said, more than the politicos who were there commenting on the results. Hmm. And yet, and and hockey uh, analysts will tell you that uh, during the first intermission, uh, the press all get up from their seats at a game and go and watch watch what uh, what CBC has on. Um, it's a Rogers broadcast, but CBC yeah. is rented, and uh, they still want to hear what he has to say. Um, again, I wonder, like, what what is it about us that keeps kind of going back and back and back to somebody who. I suspect most people would say is is you know an anachronism, and and has all kinds of other issues that are in a way not hockey related. Some of them are, but but uh, but what what is it about us? Um, we just grew, grew used to it. I think that's it. Mm. Uh, it's something that was consistently done. It's something that even new Canadians like myself uh, were told. You know, this is important. Listen to this, and you know, maybe you like the sport. Maybe you won't like the guy. Maybe what was the first? Well, remember, you remember? Do you remember your first viewing was, of Don Cherry? Absolutely. I, I was. Yeah. Well, I, I was <laughs> stunned by his sense of fashion, of course. Yeah. Well. Uh, but there's a there's a thing there. That it wasn't particularly compelling to me. He wasn't really talking about the game. He wasn't making the game easier to understand for somebody like me. So it's right. almost you know you have to be in a specific situation from your hockey knowledge to understand where Don Cherry is coming from. So there's that also. It's a sense of elitism when you think right. about it. The, somebody the, who's new to the country doesn't want to watch Don Cherry. Then you want to watch somebody who explains you know what happens uh, when too many men are on the ice. Right. Uh, well, look. This was not the first time that Don Cherry has tripped over his tongue, and uh, and yet somehow he was tolerated uh, first by the CBC and and then by Rogers. Uh, when Rogers took over the telecast, one of the big questions was, "So are you going to part ways with Don Cherry?" And they determined not to. Um, but what is it about corporate reputations now that intersects with an issue like this? You know, in a way. Rogers had to probably eat some money here yes. in order to move on from Don Cherry. Um, but can a, can a corporation survive when it holds on to something like this as opposed to parting ways? I think the game is bigger than this. Uh, there's a sense of pride uh, from Canadians when it comes to hockey that is not directly related to who is talking in the second intermission or the first intermission. Uh, hashtags are not going to work at this time. And, you know, one of the uh, one of my favorite comments on Twitter was somebody who said, uh, I'm boycotting Rogers. I'm only going to root for the Blue Jays. Uh, so who's <laughs> going to explain to this person that the Blue Jays are actually owned, owned by the yeah, company owned by them, yeah. that she wants to boycott? So, right. you know, it's one of those things. It's, 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 it's just like Wexit in a way. Right. You know, you, you get a bunch of people upset. You get a hashtag going. You get 100,000 people to sign something. But it doesn't really matter in the end because you're not going to be able to affect that change yeah. unless somebody steps up and says, you know, we want Don Cherry to be here and we want him to talk during games and we're going to pay him oodles of money. It's a completely different situation now. But in this day and age, you really can't afford as a, as a company uh, 
to maintain this kind of um, of a liability on your reputation if you know if you're going to succeed in this rogers would have likely faced some pretty heavy heat uh, time after time right in order to hang on to him well and these are the customers that they need now i think yeah. that is the main difference you know the mm-hmm. you are going after the money that is coming from millennials who are streaming the games on their phones not from somebody who's sitting at home turning on the cbc and watching it for free and wanting to hear somebody like don cherry so i think they're also playing the long game here you know let's see what happens with with, with this format if they bring somebody else to talk if they keep ron mclean uh, it's bigger than this because the group that is actually deeply offended by the comments even if they're not new Canadians, is the group that Rogers wants to cater to. It's yeah. better for them to get people to stream the games, to be able to use that part of their services, than to have somebody in their 50s, 60s, or 70s turning on just to watch Don Cherry. And yet, uh, although we don't know this yet, um, most everybody is pointing toward Brian Burke as being the most likely uh, <laughs> replacement for Don Cherry. And 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 look, no question, Brian Burke uh, is is a uh, it has, I think, been at the forefront around trying to move the NHL into uh, greater tolerance, you know, by virtue of, of his son's history and, uh, and trying to be, I think, a, a, a much, a greatly enlightened leader in all of this. That being said, he's still a pretty pugnacious guy. He's a little bit like a cherry light kind of thing, right? Well, from an attitude perspective, absolutely. But, you know, here is somebody who actively fought against trolls who were making obscene comments against him online. That's right. And yep. that made him immediately likable in my yep. book. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, he's somebody who understands where the game is going. I conducted research for the Rick Hansen Institute on the effect of concussions in young hockey players uh-huh. uh, back in 2013. And you know, Brian Berg was one of the first people who said, this is important, we have to take care of our kids, it's the future of the game. Yep. And on Saturday night, Don Cherry said that we were essentially making kids uh, more effeminate, uh, which was absolutely terrible, understandable at the time. You know, this is before Me Too, so it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. I didn't take it personally, of course, but, you know, there's a type of situation there where you have somebody who can have that attitude, but also understand that this is the year 2019. And so here's what I wonder about if it is Brian Burke, uh, because I, I, I totally understand what you're saying here about his, his efforts on concussion and, of course, his efforts around uh, sexual orientation. I mean, I think that those have been two profound areas that this guy has, has focused on. If he is the replacement, does Rogers actually then come out of this really ahead? Because it will be positioning itself at the leading edge of key issues for our our national game, as opposed to the trailing edge of it. I think they will. Uh If they play their cards correctly, they definitely have that possibility. And look at what's happened with the CFL. There hasn't been a concerted effort to get younger Canadians involved in the Canadian Football League. Uh, You're more likely to see young people wearing Seattle Seahawks jerseys than BC Lions jerseys. Mm -hmm. The attendance at the game is usually uh, more catered to the over 40 or over 45 crowd. There hasn't been an effort to change things. It's the same old thing. We're just going to do things our way. We're going to keep it going. Um, I think this is a way in which the NHL, Rogers, everybody who's related to uh, hockey broadcasting in Canada can be part of something that is going to be very different. You because Rogers has $5 billion on the line exactly. over a dozen years. And, and it is evident that it is not quite paying off at the moment. Well, I think it's just like any other 
issue that changes over time. You know, we have our moment of, you know, real hockeys don't wear, uh, sorry, re- real goalies don't wear hockey masks. And, and you had those two <laughs> months of people saying, oh, this, this new invention by Jack Plant is not going to go anywhere. And now everybody's wearing them. Everybody wears helmets. You know, there's changes well, to the game. The Don Cherry issue on visors. Exactly. Visors. And, and this is one of, this is another example of somebody right. yeah. who is promising us all a better yesterday for the national pastime. Mm, yeah. Well, always good talking to you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to watch Hockey Night in Canada this Saturday uh, for the first time in a long time, actually. They're going to uh, have big ratings. Uh, yeah. I want to see what the deal is there. Anyway, Mario, good to see you. Great to see you, too. Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co. I'm Kirk LaPointe, editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Thanks a lot for listening. 